If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon podcast. Well, for those of us up north, I just want to say it is that time of year when we all say there is no such thing as climate change because it is cold and miserable here. But as you know, by now on this podcast, we don't like to live in the black and white. We like to dig into things. So we want to have we don't want to say this or that about it. We want to dig deep into the truth. And my guest today is actually a climate scientist who is going to share with us what he studied about climate change and also explain how sometimes certain facts may be omitted to get information published. And that, I think, is no surprise to uh, those of us in the media, it doesn't mean that these papers are untruthful. It just means that they may not focus on everything that impacts a certain area. So he's gonna kind of break that down for us. But I think you kind of know what this is like because let's face it, it happens in the news all the time. It's just a little bit different. The narrative in the news is adjusted to garner more interest for the reader or the viewer, but it turns out that maybe there's something that's like that in the science world. My guest today wrote a column exposing the truth behind the, of the behind the scenes world of scientific publishing. I won't put my spin on it because we're going to get the whole story from Patrick Brown in a moment. But first, I want to talk to you a little bit about your health, because as you know, I always say you can't put a price on your health. And I stay energized and keep doing what I love every day because I get the maximum servings and nutrition of fruits and vegetables. I rely on Balance and Nature's fruits and veggies in a capsule to give me the maximum nutrition of 31 whole fruits and veggies every day. Balance of Nature is giving listeners 35% off any first preferred order plus free shipping with promo code TUTOR. So just go to balanceofnature.com and enter promo code TUTOR to get started today. You're going to feel awesome. Trust me. Balance of Nature's fruits and veggies in a capsule are powdered after an advanced vacuum cold process, keeping the maximum nutrition intact. So put your health first the easy way with Balance of Nature's fruits and veggies in a capsule. Get 35% off your first preferred order shipped to you free with promo code TUTOR at balanceofnature.com. 
I feel confident about my health because of Balance of Nature. So check out all of the testimonials from people just like you on their website to see how Balance of Nature is making a difference in their lives just like it will in yours. Go now to balanceofnature.com and get 35% off your first preferred order with free shipping with promo code TUTOR. All right, now let's bring in Patrick Brown to the podcast. He's a PhD climate scientist and co-director of the climate and energy team at the Breakthrough Institute. Patrick, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Well, I'm excited because I saw this and I kind of thought, is this what... It feels like in the science world, when you push back and people, I mean, it's almost like people sort of tried to cancel you. They were like, we don't want you going out there and saying this stuff, but you were actually picking on your own work. So explain a little bit about what happened. Yeah. So what I'm trying to do is, I guess, uh, draw attention to an issue that I see in, in scientific publishing and in particular, these high profile scientific journals. So nature and science are the two kind of Um, most characteristic of being considered, uh, the word is high-impact journals in science. And what I'm pointing out is that in climate science, uh, it's just a higher return on investment or it's easier to get your paper published in one of these high-profile venues, which is very desirable for a researcher. Uh, If you kind of frame it so that it more or less adheres to the mainstream uh, narrative, which is can more or less be described as, you know, uh, supporting the Paris Agreement. So supporting uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions such that we stay below, say, 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. So if you have a paper that kind of supports that, it's just an easier path to get uh, a publication in a venue like that. And I do want to explain to people that uh, publishing in venues like that is just extremely desirable from a researcher's perspective. So why is that? What happens if you get published in, in a so journal they're considered like that? the most prestigious journal? So first of all, uh, being a researcher, the way that you are judged is your publication record. Like that is mm-hmm. the thing on your resume that uh, people care about, and even more than that, it's how much you're cited. And being uh, published in one of these journals uh, means that your work is going to be widely disseminated and it's going to get in front of the eyes of not only the general public and the media, but other researchers who are then more likely to cite it. And so then these journals can be very selective about what they publish. So uh, Nature and Science both reject over 90% of studies that are submitted to them. And most of the time, it's not because of uh, scientific reason or because the, the study is not robust enough, but it's um, because of editorial decisions. So they, they basically are saying that this is not of general interest enough uh, to be worthy of science or nature. So just right there, that kind of tells you that, okay, researchers, uh, this is highly competitive. It's highly desirable. Uh, researchers are going to be framing their research so that it maximizes their chances of getting into these uh, journals. And so let me ask you this, when you say framing the research, because I mean, I think of this from a media mind. So from a media mind, I know that there is the temptation and oftentimes just people go with 
something that sounds scarier than it is because fear sells or drama sells. And so they create a story, a narrative that is a little more, bit more dramatic than it truly is. We've had these little media groups pop up on either side of the political aisle over the last, I would say, 15 years. And it's really divided people. Do you think that there is a I mean, I would think that wouldn't be the case in science, but is there at all like this, um, if you go in one direction that might push people toward thinking, wow, we're really close to some terrible damage happening to the country if we don't move a certain way, then you have a more, more of a likelihood of getting published? Yeah, I think that that is absolutely the case. I think that there's a, a very similar uh, phenomenon going on with the kind of it bleeds, it leads type of Mm -hmm. phenomena in journalism. Um, and I see a lot of parallels in scientific publishing that if you, and you can just kind of see this if you go, so anyone can go to Google Scholar and, uh, you know, put in the, the phrases climate change and global warming, and then you can do it selected by the source of, uh, from science and nature and kind of go through the abstracts of these, uh, papers. They're not like, what you might expect that there that they would be maybe um, you know double blind hypothesis uh, tests you know randomized controlled experiments like you can do that in medicine where you're just going to say okay what's the efficacy of this drug we're going to test it and we're going to report the results and that's not really what happens with climate impacts science and there's a practical reason for that we don't have a second earth to conduct experiments on but what <laughs> what <true>. you'll <laughs> see is just much more of a kind of persuasive arguments being made, you know, backed up with quantitative analysis, but the whole paper is, you know, climate change affects this. And usually it's a, it's a negative impact from climate change. And here is all of our evidence uh, for that. And so it's not a situation where, uh, you know, it's a hypothesis test and then we're just reporting the results. And so that is showing you that there's, you know, just a lot of leeway and creativity uh, from the researcher's perspective to kind of frame, oh, you know, we looked at this metric and that didn't really show, uh, you know, a big effect. So then we switched it to this metric, we switched it to this metric. And then, you know, it's the it's the one that you find that then ends up being the paper at the end of the day. But uh, is this dangerous? Because then I see these activists who are blocking roads and they're getting, you know, we had those two folks that were shot overseas just a, a few weeks ago. And, you know, they're they've had to have their hands cut off because they put them into cement, all, all kinds of things, because people are really so emotionally upset about what is happening to the world and to the climate. And and one of the things that people talk about quite often in the United States is the wildfires. I know that wildfires was what you wrote about. And we see these activists and even congressmen and women who come out and say, you know, this is a terrible disaster. We're losing all these homes. People are dying. The forests are, are being ruined because of these wildfires. And you say that there are other ways to mitigate wildfires that and it's not that you didn't want to include that in your information. You just focused on one area because you knew that that was the area that was likely to get more attention. But then are we missing out that we don't know that there are other ways to mitigate and and are those folks who are activists missing out and are they more concerned about this than they they should be because there are ways to do things that we don't know about. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that a, a fuller picture 
is you know more informative of of the situation that we're in and uh there's different you know levels of that but when it comes to wildfires uh what I, what I talked about is uh that the paper that I wrote uh focused exclusively on the impact of of temperature change on wildfires uh even though we know that wildfires are the result of many causal factors and changes in their behavior are the result of many things that are changing so changes in population people living in the wildland urban interface we call it so that changes ignition patterns uh and then the probably the most important thing is changes in vegetation or fuel loads uh that we've had these uh ill-advised policies to suppress all fires or put them out immediately and so that has caused a century of vegetation to build up uh where it wouldn't be otherwise it used to be that we had these uh low intensity uh high frequency fires that about every 10 years a fire would come and kind of clear out the vegetation uh and then we got into the situation where we uh, suppressed all fires so now we have this huge build up of of fuels and so that means that when there are fires they're much more intense and much harder to fight so that's this other important factor for wildfires um and so knowing that uh means that there's another solution set available to you right so if we if we go in and this is the you know the the white house's plan as well and the, and the us forest services plan uh is to treat much more of our forests so to uh, mechanically thin and do prescribed burns in our forests to reduce these fuel loads um that is another solution that's available to us other than just reducing greenhouse gas emissions and actually when you look at reducing greenhouse gas emissions uh, that has very little leverage uh in wildfire activity over the next several decades like you only see those results essentially in the in the 2100s and so if you have this is the case with almost all climate impacts that if you have some problem now the only way to address it you know in our lifetimes is to do something on the ground practical you know some type of infrastructure or something that's not mm. just reducing greenhouse gas emissions because reducing greenhouse gas emissions is very important in the long term to stabilize the climate but you just don't get the leverage let's take a quick commercial break we'll continue next on the tutor dixon podcast this podcast is sponsored by cloud optimizer as a business owner or it manager are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why it's time for cloud optimizer As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, You don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty: Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Obviously, it's a very contentious issue. So you have people on one side and the other side. And then, like I said, there are people that are in the black and white, like, no, it has to be this way. It has to be this way. And I think oftentimes those people who are going, okay, well, is there something happening in the climate? And do we have to do something? Hear the story of in Michigan, we just passed a bill saying zero emissions by 2040, and we're going to have all renewable energy. And I think that the average American goes, are you kidding me? It's impossible. And so when it feels totally impossible and there's not a written out plan of, okay, here's how we're going to get here. That's what makes people mad. And they go, these people are insane and I'm not going to listen to anything on climate. Well, that's harmful too. I mean, I come from the foundry industry. I know we constantly involved what we did and how we not only poured metal, but got the scrap, took care of our scrapyard. Everything was changing over the years that my father and I worked in the foundry industry. You know, people don't realize behind the scenes, there are a lot of people doing things like that to make things cleaner, to make sure that we are taking care of the environment. But I think when you hear, we're going to go to nothing overnight, people just throw up their hands and go, it's impossible. So what is your answer to that? Yeah, so it is, it's an extremely difficult problem, the entire climate change uh, issue. And so I don't have a simple answer, but what I'm saying is that I think yeah, the solve literature- solve it right now. No, yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> is that I just think the literature is, is incomplete. It's, it's very narrowly focused on negative impacts from the side effects of our current uh, energy and agricultural systems. And so I think that makes people kind of go crazy because they- they see, okay, all of these papers are coming out all the time showing how bad uh, oh, our energy yeah. and agricultural systems are. And so why are we not doing anything about it? This is so crazy. Like the politicians must be, you know, just completely bought off by fossil fuel interests mm -hmm. and, and all that. Um, but it's really just an incomplete literature that there's, there's not a bunch of studies on the negative impacts of restricting energy use, um, and there could be. I mean, it's it. That's a cultural thing within the within the research community. It's not dictated by the underlying data necessarily. Um, and then I and I'm also pointing out just a, a gap in in research that really leans into historical increases in resilience of human well being. So we've seen, you know, about a, a degree Celsius warming over the past fifty years, and we're expecting about a degree. Uh, 
about 1.25 degrees Celsius over the next 50 years. But if we look over the past 50 years, almost all uh, climate sensitive aspects of society have been going in good directions and positive directions. So we have, you know, globally, we have more uh, food and more access to clean water and uh, disaster deaths are way down and uh, hmm. d deaths from extreme uh cold are down because it's getting warmer and deaths even from extreme heat are down because of, you know, increased access to air conditioning. So all these things, this has been undergirded by fossil fueled industrialization. Uh, and so that is something that the climate science community needs to grapple with is to, to understand that all of these increases in resilience have been because of, you know, energy uh, and historically it's been mostly fossil fuels. And so that, I think that that kind of gap in the literature um, is it, it kind of undermines credibility in the entire climate science enterprise. So if that was acknowledged more, then then you can move on to the next step of saying, uh, but in the long run, we see these negative impacts. And so then we do need to transition in the long run. But we have to be you know very careful about restricting energy options for humanity, because that just by definition, um, has a strong potential to harm human well-being, especially in the developing, you know, world, the low-income countries where there's there's three billion people on Earth that are in extreme energy poverty, and the quickest way to make them resilient to the climate is to uh, have them, you know, be be to have economic development, which entails increase in energy use and, in the near term, increase in in CO2 emissions. Which you would think likely a lot of the folks who are activists for clean climate are also activists for people who are less fortunate and would want that. And that is a lack of of information. I mean, from what I'm hearing from you is that there's a gap in information that the American people, but also maybe globally, that people aren't seeing because it's not necessarily the hot item to print. And the question that I have there is you talked about politicians being bought off. What is it that where is I mean, there has to be some money trail to some lobby or something that says we want this this journal to come out and say this because it looks good for what we want to do in government. And this is potentially something that your politicians know nothing about, guys. I mean, you oftentimes, I think we oftentimes think that the politicians know everything that goes on behind the scenes, but organizations and industries work outside of that to impact what happens in government too. And this is an interesting way to do it because if you can change the human mind on something and make the people believe, they will push the politicians to go that direction. So is there some sort of collusion behind the scenes somewhere where this is a good business for someone? Uh, probably. I, I don't have any personal anecdotes or experience with that. I mean, mostly of what I see, there's no conspiracies. It's just kind of what I'm pointing out. It's just is everything's out in the open. It's cultural. And it's uh, just the way people kind of self-select into the field of climate science and then um, observe, you know, like, OK, so, you know, if you want to publish in in science or nature on climate change, uh, one way to uh, to to understand how you should frame your research to do that would just be to listen to the um, leadership of the journal. So the uh, editor in chief of science, for example, wrote a, an op ed in science called the Beyond Two Degree Inferno, 
which is full of kind of apocalyptic language and religious uh, language and compares humans to, to sinners and uh, talks oh, about wow. trading mm-hmm. off economic, you know, that, you know, we will be punished for our economic development that uh, harms the earth. And so just reading that as a scientist, that's sending you a pretty good signal about the type of research that science maybe wants to publish. And similarly, nature officially as an organization endorsed Joe Biden in the 2020 election. Um, and one of the reasons for that was uh, his uh, his climate policies. And so, again, this is these these organizations are laying their cards out that they're very much um, endorsing these political goals. Uh, and so then that that solicits more research than along those same lines, because researchers want to. To please the the editors, right? right? right. You want to make sure you get in there. So what when you found this out, I mean, obviously, you went into this field when you were young and you wanted to study. I mean, I say that you're still very young, obviously, but you you wanted to get into this. Were you surprised when you got into it and you started studying climate? Were you surprised by what you learned and that there were these other options? Were you surprised that the doom you had heard growing up was maybe there's a there is a dark cloud out there, but there are many ways to brighten the skies than than more than just one? Yeah, I would say I was surprised. Um, I was particularly surprised when I started teaching climate science and I started uh, getting to the portion of the class where you're supposed to kind of teach about the impacts. And I was just continuously unimpressed when I went into every single impact and looked at it in detail and kind of compared the type of things that I see in headlines versus the actual underlying data or what the actual you know study says that kind of over and over again, I was uh, really taken aback by how exaggerated it is uh, in the in the media versus what the what the data actually shows. Uh, And so that was something that was striking to me. And so that's caused me recently to to kind of change my orientation much more to be critical of uh, the scientific literature and of coverage of the scientific literature. Uh, and that's what made me decide to criticize my own paper because I was kind of operating in two different modes. I was operating as in the mode of, okay, I'm a climate scientist who has to publish on the you know climate impacts on various things, including wildfires. And so that's what this paper is on. And then separately, I was also kind of criticizing this whole thing. And so I didn't submit my paper with any intention of criticizing it. But then once it was basically at the finish line, I decided that I I couldn't just be critical of other people's work. And I had to be critical of of my own work uh, as well and point out that it's it's just like part of it's part of a larger pattern. Uh, There's nothing wrong with the paper itself because it says everything it says that all the assumptions you know lays out all the assumptions uh, correctly within the paper but it's what i'm pointing out is that many people are doing this kind of narrow focus on the climate change impact on something that's negative uh and then that leaves out the the big picture the full picture uh in aggregate let's take a quick commercial break we'll continue next on the tudor dixon podcast 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We hear all the time that there are folks that are in this bucket of the world is ending in five to 10 years. And then there are people who are afraid to stand up and say, uh, no, there are other options out there. I think we've heard this with medical science as well, where it's like, well, if I don't say this, I'm not getting the big grant. I know that. So to get the big grant, to do more research, I have to say this to get it. What was the reaction of your peers? Because, you know, you did get some people attacking you, but it sounds like some people were like, hey, thanks. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the problem that the way that you whispered there, because so I got a lot of uh, I got a lot of very positive reaction in my inbox mm. and a lot of positive reaction in just face to face communication. But, you know, a lot of the reaction publicly was very negative. A lot of, you know, um, blogs and stories and especially on Twitter from very high profile uh, colleagues, uh, very negative, a lot of ad hominem um, uh, attacks. And I, and I think that that's unfortunate. That's all part of the, the phenomenon that I'm highlighting here is that my colleagues who maybe would agree with me and who would be compelled to 
uh, write me a private email are not compelled to say anything publicly because of this kind of enforcement of, uh, you know, essentially the, the stay on track with the mainstream, you know, narrative on this. Uh, and so that means that there's self-censorship going on. And um, that's unfortunate because that's just going to, that's going to uh, be part of this self-reinforcing feedback that causes uh, the message to be overly narrow. I think it's so impressive that you did it, though, and that you continue to talk about it, because that, I think, is what will get people on board to make changes. Like I said, I think there are so many people out there that hear these radical climate messages and they're like, oh, well, if that's the case, then why do anything? And it turns them away. And so you have this great divide. But if I had someone coming to me like you are and saying, hey, there are ways to prevent wildfires. There are different ways and we have to look at it all these different ways. Any other business person does that too. Okay, what's the best strategy? I've got to lay it out and say there are different ways to get here. This is the long-term plan. But in the meantime, before we can get to that, we do this. And that's where I think that people have really been turned off by the climate message because the average person living their life is like, you know what, I can't build my house of straw, have solar panels on the top of it and put all of my food in a basket that I'm going to then garden from, you know, because it's overwhelming when you're told that that's how you, because we've never lived that way. So I just say, continue to do this because I think that's where real true change will happen. That's where people will go, okay, this is what we can do. Because like I said, businesses are already there. Businesses are already looking at this stuff and they have experts coming. We had an environmental expert that worked at the company and came in and was like, okay, we could do this differently. Constantly interfacing with the state, with the environmental people to say, we want to make some changes here to make it better for the lake, to make it better for this, you know? I just think that if more people were saying what you're saying, we would get a lot more people buying into a tweak here and a tweak there will make a huge difference in a few years. Don't you think? Yeah, I think that just uh, the policymakers and decision makers and the public, you know, should have as much information as possible. And so when that when it's when it comes to climate impacts, uh, there's a lot more we can do than just reducing greenhouse gas emissions uh, and, but it is important, I think, for people to know that in order to stabilize global climate, we do need to reduce, uh, in particular CO2 emissions to essentially zero. Uh, but it's a multi-decade. This is something that's going to be happening our entire, uh, lives, like everyone who's alive today. It's not something that you can just go and, and pass the next, uh, legislation on, on EVs or something. Um, because it involves the the entire globe and it involves uh, just an extreme amount of technological uh, change and transition over a long period of time. Uh, and so th those that reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the long term is almost I consider it almost a separate issue than uh, dealing with climate impacts in the here and now. So before I let you go, I have to ask you one thing, because this has always kind of irked me. And maybe you're going to tell me I'm completely wrong on this. but when it comes to EVs, the process to make these batteries is so environmentally damaging. And then you have this battery that you have nothing to do with once the car has gone bad. And once the battery goes bad, the whole car goes bad. How is that a better? Do we ever have something where we go, man, maybe this is the solution. And it actually turns out that that's not the solution. It's actually worse. 
So sure, ev yeah, every single technology has trade-offs, and you know you're talking about with renewable energy, with not only batteries but wind and solar, uh, increasing mining by a lot, which has a lot of local negative environmental impacts. And so I'm not here to tell you I know the exact right cost-benefit analysis for all of the alternatives uh, for all technologies, uh, but I do think that they should all be considered. Uh, the the issue with with greenhouse gas emissions is that they just, with CO2, it just accumulates in the atmosphere. So we're not in a steady state right now. The more that we uh, burn gasoline for, so using internal combustion engine cars, the more that just accumulates in the atmosphere. Uh, and so that does need to be eventually eliminated to stabilize uh, the climate. But yeah, we're going, there's going to be trade-offs then with other negative environmental impacts that then we have to deal with. So what about this, uh, like CO two capturing and pushing it into the earth and that kind of stuff? Is that a real thing? Yeah, carbon capture and storage uh, can be part of the solution uh, as well. I think it's going to be nuclear. It's going to be enhanced geothermal. Uh, it's going to be some wind and solar and batteries. Uh, it's going to be kind of an all of above, all of the above uh, strategy for energy. All right. Well, the next time we have an energy question, we're bringing you on or a climate question in general, because obviously there's new things coming out all the time. And I think a lot of a lot of people on the right side of the aisle are very skeptical. So it's good to have it explained. I appreciate you coming on and talking to us. It was really nice to meet you. Patrick Brown, our climate scientist. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. And thank you all for joining us on the Tudor Dixon podcast. As always, for this episode and others, go to TudorDixonPodcast.com. You can subscribe right there or head over to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And join us the next time on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Have a blessed day. Two thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to fourpatriots.com/tutor to get your solar generator. Generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to fourpatriots.com slash tutor. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.